What a backdrop. But it was a fun week with a vacation Bible schools, over a hundred children from the community attending. And uh, the Lord really blessed. Some of them have requested Bible studies. And so we are in the process of being able to fulfill that as well, too. Some of them came to Sabbath school this morning. So we're reaching out into the community. And I always like it when we get close because in the church office we start receiving phone calls. When are you having vacation Bible school? Our children are just bugging us to death to see. They don't want to go to the, any, any of the other churches. They want to go here because they have so much fun. And it's hard work. You're right. Those who work this week are worn out. So if you see someone dozing off, they're probably worked with Vacation Bible School this week. If you don't think that they worked with Vacation Bible School, then jab them with your elbow and wake them up. I want to ask a question. I want you to think about it. You don't need to answer, but I want you to really think about this question because I get asked this question quite often. Why do you go to church each week? It's, it seems like a silly question, but why do you take time out each week to go to church? Probably the first thing that popped in my mind when I asked myself that was, well, I've come to worship and learn more about God and to keep His fourth commandment by remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, then a couple of weeks ago when... My wife and I were gone. We, we spent Sabbath. Actually, we had Sabbath school in a, on a picnic bench underneath a tree in Bryce Canyon National Park. Beautiful surrounding. And uh, do you really need to go to church in order to worship God and to keep the Sabbath day holy? You can do it any place, anywhere you go, and you see the evidence of God all around you. So there must be other reasons why we choose to attend church each week. When I had uh, worship last Tuesday with the staff at Rancho Paseo Medical Clinic, I asked them the same question. Because here are people with various, uh, belong to various churches, um, and uh, they come each week, and I, and I ask them. Normally, I don't ask them questions, but I ask them this time. And, and to be honest, why do you go to church? Or if you don't go to church, why do you choose not to go to church? Well, one man spoke up and said, I don't go to church anymore because when I was young, my parents forced me to go. So he stays home. Someone else spoke up and says, well, I go to church each week because it's been the tradition of our family to go. And so it's tradition in, a, in, in our home. The rest of them kind of sat there with a confused look on their face, wondering why I asked such a stupid question in the first place. And they didn't want to answer it. Why do you go? Why do you take time to dress up and to come and to be here? And some of you come early, 
Some of the rest of you, well, I won't mention what you do. But uh, why, why do you come to church? As I thought about it for a while, I had to admit that I come to church not because I'm the pastor, but I, I attend church to have fellowship with like believers. God created us as social beings. And because we're social beings, we need fellowship with other people. Take a look, if you would, to, to Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you um, next to the hymnal. But look at Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, chapter 2 and verse 18, which has to do with, with the creation, especially on Friday, the creation of, of Adam and, and Eve. God had already created Adam. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 It says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper compatible to him. And that's when he created Eve. But God said, It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for anyone to be alone. Uh, I think of the singles. They say, Well, this shouldn't pertain to me because... God somehow hasn't given to me my companion yet. But there's still inside of all of us, whether you're married or whether you're not, there's this, this need to be with other people and not to be alone. We're to worship God and to have fellowship with God, but we're also supposed to have fellowship with each other. When I was in the Navy umpteen years ago, they asked if there was anyone that would like to volunteer for duty uh, in Antarctica. I even considered it for a while. kind of sounded like fun. It's considered isolation duty. And only those who were allowed to go and to spend time there had to pass a psychological examination. A group of psychiatrists would, would meet with them and interview them. And what they were trying to see is, can this individual handle isolation over a long period of a time? And if they couldn't, they were not accepted for the program. They, they, and then they couldn't spend really more than nine months before having to go back to civilization. The reason is, man needs fellowship. And so the problem that, that they have if they are left in isolation over long periods of times, they develop mental problems. So God was right. It's not good for man to be alone. Look what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi while he was imprisoned at Rome. Philippians chapter 1. Here's Paul. He's in Rome. He's in prison. Um, he's writing this letter to the church members back in Philippi, probably one of the churches that he helped establish. Philippians chapter 1. And we want to begin with verse 1. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. 
Paul and Timothy. Now I want you to notice something. Paul was in prison, but he had his friend with him who would come to visit him. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this, of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul is remembering back to when he was there with them and fellowshiped with them. He enjoyed that, and now that he's imprisoned, he is he's craving that time to be with them again. He, he desires that fellowship. He remembers that time when they were there. He, he longs for them. The fellowship with church members meant a lot to him, especially when he was going through his crisis. And it's at times with us that when we go through a crisis... It's important to, to have this fellowship and to be with people who can help us and deal with us. Do you remember the story of Elijah? Elijah, one of the chosen prophets of God, and how he stood up against all the pagan religious men and they built this altar and he had the, the pagans uh, call upon their gods to send fire to come down out of heaven and burn up their, their offering that was there and they whooped and hollered and yelled and screamed, even cut themselves and there was still no fire that came down out of heaven. And, and then Elijah, Elijah had them bring water up and dump water over the wood and it saturated the wood with water and, and he put his sacrifice on the altar and he just knelt there in one prayer and then boom, the lightning comes down and consumes the offering and consumes the wood and consumes everything that is there. And it was a great miracle. But just right after that, Elijah ran away. And he started running and running and running until he couldn't run anymore. He was exhausted. And when he fell down, do you remember what he asked God? God, let me die. He didn't want to live. Let me die. Do you know why? Turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's let Elijah explain because God asked him, well, why are you here, Elijah? 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Because Elijah went into this cave. And he's hiding there. And he's, he's asking God to let him die. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. And there he, that's Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he, Elijah, said, 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Do you know what he was feeling? Isolated. Here I have done all this for you, God, but what about your children? Those people who claim to believe in you, they're ripping down your altars and, and they're killing off your prophets and I'm one of the prophets and I just don't think there's anyone here who really believes in you. He's wanting to be able to have Christians in like mind who believes like he did, but all of a sudden he didn't feel a part of the group. He felt like the group was against him. Isolated. Threatened. Therefore, he wanted to die. There's a question that popped into my mind. If a Christian desires fellowship with other Christians because we've been created as social beings and we can't stand the idea of being isolated and, and alone... What about the non-Christian? God placed into them this same need to fellowship with others. Where do they go to find fellowship? I was reading the recent ministry magazine that came to my home and I ran across on the back page there's a, there's a one-page um, kind of a letter to pastors written written by Elder Jim Cress. If you remember a few weeks ago, Elder Crest was here in our congregation. He sat here and I pointed him out to you. I've known I've known Jim for a, a long time. And uh, and he was here and it was kind of interesting in his article that he wrote. Jim is the Ministerial Association Secretary for the General, General Conference. He's what's called the pastor's pastor. He's the one that pastors can go to to get advice and, and uh, to get counseling. And, and uh, Jim's gone through the same school I went through, the school of hard knocks in life. And in this, this letter he has written to the pastors in Ministry Magazine, he describes, he describes how the neighborhood... Bar has become the substitute church in meeting the needs of the unchurch because these individuals are longing and looking for fellowship. It's true that the bar dispenses liquor instead of grace, and it's a place where most people escape their problems instead of learning how to face reality of their life. It's also a permissive, accepting place. And, and it's a place where they can go and feel like, I'm a part of this group. They're, they're my friends. Here in, the, in a bar, these individuals can tell the guy that's sitting next to him his deepest, darkest secrets. And they don't seem to tell other people, probably because they can't remember it the next day. 
but it gives them a, a release of, of telling them their problems or to tell it to the bartender. It's really not because that these individuals are alcoholics. In fact, very few people who go and, and uh, uh, go to a bar, they're not really alcoholics. There's only a small percentage of them that are alcoholics. Actually, most alcoholics spend their time drinking at home alone. But they go there for the fellowship. For the same reason why you go to church is for the fellowship. Because God has put into their hearts the desire to know other people and to be known by them. To, to find uh, acceptance and to be accepted by other people and to accept them the way they are. To, to find love and to be loved. To seek... Uh, uh, to seek a, a relationship with other people at, even at the, at the price of a few beers. Many non-church individuals uses the bar atmosphere to help them cope in this crazy, mixed-up world. It's their coping mechanism. If this need to cope and this need for friendship... And, and to be accepted and to accept others is so great and essential in human beings. Isn't it vitally important to have the same type of atmosphere without the, without the alcohol with new converts in the church? I mean, they're coming here, they're being vulnerable to come to a place where they don't know anyone, to walk into the doors and to come in because they feel to be accepted. They may be giving up their old friends and their old way of life, their old fellowship, to come, and now they come into a new church family, and they need, they need a family. They need someone to say, I, I know you. Do you know why so many people really appreciate my wife? the new ones when they come in, because she tries to know their name so that the next time when they come in, she goes up to them and say, well, hello, Bill, how are you today? And they said, wow, you remembered my name. It's that feeling of acceptance that they want. It's that recognition that I'm, I'm good enough, I'm... I'm important enough to you that you remember my name. Or to say, well, I remember you were here a couple of weeks ago. I've even had times when I, I've seen someone who's visited once and then I don't see them again for maybe a year. And they walk in and I go up to them and, and say, Mary, I am so happy to see you. you. It's been about a year, hasn't it? You remembered? We've got a lady that, that, that does that. She spent a few Sabbaths here, and then she, went, she lives with a son who lives in Tennessee or Georgia or someplace. And then when she comes, she can only come maybe once a year. And I, and I remember her. And she says, I love to come here because you remember who I am. 
She says, I go to my church back there with my son and my daughter. You know what? They don't even, and I've been going there for three years, they don't even know my name. And so when she comes to California, she says, I make sure that I come to this church in Beaumont because I feel like you want me to be here. That's what's placed inside of all of us. That's why when a visitor comes to visit us, they feel too bashful. Now, I could have the, all the visitors that we have here stand up today, and you, they'll all turn red. But it, they, that's not what they're looking for, is that type of recognition. They're looking for the fact that you are, as a church family, vulnerable enough to be able to come up and to say, I'm really glad to see you here. And to ask them their name. And, and to remember that. I remember the very first Sabbath that I came to this church. Before you accepted me as a pastor, I had gone through an interview. And I asked if I could come and sit in on the church. Burton Briggs had communion that Sabbath. Gary Foster washed my feet that Sabbath. Now, I felt like I was a part of this family. And Gary reminds me of it every now and then. He says, do you remember six years ago when I washed your feet over here? And I said, I sure do. He didn't even hesitate. He came right up to me and asked if, if I minded if we went over into the other room together. I didn't have to stand around and, well, where do I go next? What do I do now? He just jumped right in. And that's, that's what's so important. That's what's, what's there. Jim Cress in, in his... In his article, he, he asked us, he says, he says, in order to keep people within the church, you may have to make them feel like they're really accepted. He says a Christian author by the name of, of Jerry Cook wrote a book entitled Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. And in his book, he says there are three things that people must have in a church before these new people will risk becoming open enough to, uh, to, be, to feel a part of, of this church. The first thing is, under every circumstance and with no exception, they must always feel loved and accepted by the church family. Not just the pastor, but by the church family itself. Look what Jesus said about his followers Look at John chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13. He's, he's really, even though he's talking to his disciples, he's really talking about his church that will be in existence. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Look what it says. Jesus is speaking and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, 
that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is important to be recognized by a stranger that comes in to say, I feel accepted and loved by the members of this church. They came to me. I didn't have to go to them. They made me feel like I was a part, like they really wanted me to be here. The second thing that Jerry Cook wrote that needs to be within the church is that people must experience in a church acceptance without reservation. I've got to feel like when I come in, you accept me the way I am right now. That doesn't mean that I can't change. I don't know how many times I've seen church members come up to me and say, Ooh, Pastor, did you see that visitor that just came to the door? He smells like smoke. I sure don't hope I sure hope he doesn't want to join our church. What? I had a church member come up to a lady one time. She came and she says, uh, the fellowship meal we're having after the church is for church members only. You can't come. I wonder why these people didn't want to come back. They have to feel like they're... What's that? Yeah, it's not this church. It's not this church. That's right. They need to feel like they're accepted even with their faults because the Lord we know can change them. I, I remember, I probably told you this, I remember the time this one guy was, it was the husband, was very upset with his wife because she was coming to that Advent church, he called it. So he got up one morning and she asked him, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to church with you. And he put on his bib overalls because he wanted to prove that this church would not accept him. So he was going to come looking like a farmer. And so he came in with his bib overalls. And, and the church members came up to me and he says, Pastor, look at that man. And I says, yes. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to invite him to come in and sit down and worship with us. And I found his, out his name and I told him he could come and he could sit with us. I'm glad he's here. And the next week he came in bib overalls again. And I remembered his name and my wife remembered his name and remembered his wife and said, please come in. Church member says, Pastor, what are you doing? And I says, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm praying for this man and I'm accepting him because he's coming to church. The third week he came in his bib overalls, but he was a little friendlier. He held on to my hand a little longer. And I said, the Lord's working on this guy's heart. The fourth week, guess what? He came in a four-piece suit, three-piece suit with a vest. Could have been four, I don't know. Three-piece suit. Church members looked and said, is this the same man? And I said, it sure is. We had one of these uh, satellite evangelistic series that came. And he came to it. And at the end of the series, he got up and his wife thought he was leaving. She says, what are you leaving for? He says, I'm not leaving. Says the preacher up there on that screen says, if you want to be baptized, come down to the front. I'm going to the front. 
And he came down and I baptized he and his wife. They still email me. That was like, what, 10, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. They still email me. They're still in that church. They felt accepted. But he told me I was waiting for one negative comment to come and I was going to take myself and my wife and leave that church. He was doing it to try to get us to say something. They want to feel accepted without reservation. To feel loved means you must feel accepted by those you associate with. As a church member, you must reach out and touch the stranger that enters this church. Love means accepting people the way they are for Jesus' sake. And that Jesus is the one that's going to change them, not you. Not your comments. He's going to work on their mind. He's going to work on their hearts. And the change will come. Do you know who Jesus hung around with when He was here on this earth? Sinners. Wow, can you imagine that? He didn't isolate Himself in the synagogue and, and tell all of those terrible sinners, stay outside. I'm going in and worship with these good, fine people. Jesus touched the untouchable leper when no one else would touch him. He sat next to the hated tax collector. I bet if the IRS man sat here, you'd think twice before sitting next to him. He spoke to the woman at the well who was living with a man out of wedlock. Can you imagine that? Jesus did that. He mixed with sinners so much that the self-righteous leaders got upset about it. Do you know why Jesus associated with sinners? Let's let him say. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 32. Jesus will tell you. Luke chapter 5 and verse 32. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He knew and recognized that if He didn't associate with them, if He didn't become friends with them, if He didn't reach out to them, if He didn't accept them the way they are, then they would not have eternal life. And He couldn't bear to allow that to happen to those individuals. And that's what His church is going to be known for, is the fact that they cannot stand thinking that there is someone out in this world that might come to our church and will be lost if I don't reach out to them. That brings me to the third thing unchurched individuals need to find a church. No matter how miserable they have failed in making changes in their lives or how blatantly their life is filled with sin, they need unreserved forgiveness and that it's there for the asking. Jesus often caught people in the act of sin. He was there when Mary Magdalene was caught in the act of adultery, and He told her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. In fact, Jesus forgave Mary seven times for her unthinkable sin. Jesus spent His time with dirty, filthy, stinking sinners. He fellowshiped with them. He worshiped with them. He loved them. He accepted them. And when those kind of people find someone who will love and accept them, you won't be able to keep them away. Why do non-church people and even church people go to the bar? Because they're seeking acceptance 
They're seeking love, they're seeking recognition, and they're seeking forgiveness. And sorry to say, they will find it at a bar. But many times they will not find it in the church. And that's a crime. So I have to ask you, if you are here to fellowship with like believers, are you reaching out as a friend to the visitor that comes into our church? Do they feel the love and the acceptance when they walk through those doors? Do they feel like you accept them the way they are and that you're glad to see them? Do you speak and touch the stranger that is within the church's gate? Does the stranger in the church, does he know your name? And do you know their name? Elder Kress ends his article addressing the Adventist church members. He says the Adventist church needs continually to relearn that Jesus accepts us, although our lives have much that offends His holiness. Righteousness by faith, he says, in his merits says that his acceptance of us does not imply approval of our misbehavior, but rather it shows love that will transcend our shortcomings and transforms our behavior into his likeness if we only allow sufficient time to interact with him. If we then are acceptable to Jesus despite our lack and, 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 and our problems and our sinful nature, how could, he says, how could we dare reject others who come into our church? That's pretty strong. Think about it. How you react to that visitor that comes into our church family either sends out a message of acceptance or rejection from the family of God. So don't think, well, I'm a shy person and I, I just can't do this. That shyness could be the thing that, that they feel as rejection. I remember one time someone come up to me and says, you have a very unfriendly church. And I says, oh, really, why? Well, I went up and there was a man and I reached out to shake his hand and he wouldn't shake my hand. So I had him describe the person and they described him to me and I says, this man is very, very shy. Oh, really? Well, I wished he, you know, would at least, he didn't have to say anything, would have at least reached out and shook my hand. So even just not being able to shake hands, a person can feel rejection. How do you react to visitors? Do you reject or accept them into the family of God? Let's think about it as we turn in our hymnals to hymn number 587. In Christ there is no east or west. 587.
Shall we stand together as we sing 587? Father, here is my prayer that those who are here from the state of New York, from Tennessee, from South Africa, those who are of different races and customs and ways of worship, those who are visiting, who live nearby, who are seeking fellowship that they might find it within this church, the love and the acceptance that Jesus had when he walked here on this earth. For this is our desire and our prayer in his name. Amen.